Hello, and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Welcome back. Once again, it feels like it's been a little while since we recorded. I know it's only been more or less exactly a week, but uh, it feels longer. Uh, But that's partially because, as you might be able to hear in my voice, nasal passage, sound clogness, uh, I've had a bit of a week. I... This is going to be today's episode, almost two years into both the podcast and the pandemic, uh, our first COVID episode. I tested positive a couple days ago. I'm doing fine. It's not fun, but it's not the end of the world. But uh, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like, man, I hope I don't like cough. You know, I, I might have to like cut myself off and mute the mic at <laughs> random intervals because uh, I've still got a cough, so, um, you know, it, it it is what it is, but it's, uh, you know, I get to chill at home, which is nice, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I kind of do that anyway, so. <laughs> What's it, it, new? I, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, but, it is pretty uh, incredible that we've gone two years and that neither of us has tested positive until now. I mean, when you think yeah, about the like, interactions we've had, the places we've maybe traveled. I mean, we came to Massachusetts shortly yeah. after COVID started and yeah. Yeah. I mean, things were still really, really in the, cause that was just a couple of months after everything shut down. Yeah, it was like June or July of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like we were just talking before we hit record, like Elaine got it, but I never tested positive despite quarantining with her. So, um, it took me, took me, uh, almost two full years, but here we are. Um, you know, don't need to dwell on it, I guess. We're not talking about COVID today, although, as you pointed out, it is sort of fitting that as I am afflicted with this uh, disease brought on by the brokenness of our world, that we are talking about uh, a passage, or not a passage of scripture, but um, a section of scripture that has to do with the fall. Or more specifically, we're talking about the fall, so I'm sure we'll make reference to a section of scripture, but we're talking about the fall in general. So I'm going to kick it to you, kind of get get us started as we uh, sort of situate ourselves in this conversation. What are we going to talk about today with respect to the fall? Yeah, well, so when I had this thought the other day, I, I, I was... I don't even know what brought it on. I, I remember I was sitting at work, I was listening to music or something, or maybe I was listening to a podcast, but I just had this thought of... Well, I guess, well, I'll just say I had this thought of like the the interactions that were had in the garden. You know, think of before the fall, the, the sort of interactions that Adam and Eve would have had with each other, the sort of interactions that Adam and Eve would have had with, with Yahweh. Um, and I was like, man, to actually think, uh, there's really no way to know exactly until we meet Adam and Eve, um, but what was that like to then experience the fall, to experience entering into sin, entering into a life of, of death, uh, where you know, all the all the repercussions of the fall, all the you know bearing children in pain, the the ground bearing thorns and thistles, etc. 
uh, what what would it have been like to have had the knowledge of of true intimacy with God, tr- true fellowship with Him and with each other as husband and wife, and then to live in the aftermath of of their sin? Like I just I was I was struck by that reality, and so I was sort of thinking about some other things that were related to it. And I think we should say at the outset here. Um, and maybe it's not surprising, but maybe you don't know us that well, because maybe this is the first episode you've ever listened to, that I think we're sort of operating with the understanding that there is a historical Adam and Eve, that that the first part of Genesis isn't um, allegorical or fictitious in some way, but that Adam and Eve um, were real men, or was, was a real man and a real woman, and that they existed and that they... Um, you know, we're the, the firstborn of the living, so to speak. They're, they're children and their children's children and their children's children all sort of trickle down until today. Um, but I'll say we can operate with that assumption. I don't think you need that assumption, I think, uh, uh, f- for this conversation. Um, but we can maybe get into that uh, in terms of, of, of what, what I think is definitely like Adam and Eve – the story of Genesis three, the story of the fall. What 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 I think the assumption that we need to operate with, like even more so than historic Adam and Eve, is that there is a real quote unquote fall, right? There is a real rupture in humanity's relations to God, and what is presented to us in Scripture, which is the inspired, infallible Word of God, is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and obviously, that's the way we're going to approach the the topic. But um, this might be a separate episode. But but I I don't think that the fall itself necessarily <laughs> falls away if you end up rejecting a historic individual Adam and Eve. Now, I'm not advocating rejecting historical Adam and Eve. Um, but if you if you do reject historical Adam and Eve, still listen is what I want to say because I think that we we've still got some uh, agreed, interesting agreed, things for to, sure. to to discuss with respect to the fall. And without going down rabbit holes, I would be very curious to hear in what you're saying that if there was a true and actual fall, a, a real fall into sin, then how that would have been played out if there wasn't an Adam and Eve historically speaking. And that's maybe a different topic for a different day. Um, but I, I'm curious, and this is something that we mention often on air. I figured we'd just mention it again here because maybe, you're again, you're a new listener that hasn't been around. Um, but a lot of times when Lucas and I come up with a topic, we sort of prepare separate from each other. I mean, I live in Wisconsin. He lives in Alabama. So we're like physically separate from one another. And then we come together and sort of have a conversation. And it's interesting to see how there's overlaps, similarities, but also some of the differences. So I'm kind of curious where you took this episode, what you wanted to highlight, um, as opposed to what I'll share in, in a few moments. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, I wasn't quite sure where to take it. I wasn't... Um... I, I, I didn't have a, a very specific or focused sort of goal or vision in thinking through so much as I was trying to think of, you know, based on some of in our text about the episode, some of the questions you gave as like examples and, and then some other things that, that came to mind for me, just sort of various sorts of questions or, or thoughts that I think 
the fall narrative uh, brings up or com- brings to mind. So I, 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 I thought about things like, what is it like, what is sort of the, 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 the step, the steps that go from, you know, uh, you know, before chapter three, like in between chapter two and three, where Adam and Eve are at peace in the garden to the end of chapter three, where they're kicked out and blocked off. What is sort of the like flow, right? Like the steps, like this leads to this leads to this. Um, and maybe that's just a completely wrong headed way of approaching it to begin with. But I, I kind of have like a, a sort of outline ish, um, like history, so to speak, of the temptation leading to this, like the the biggest block building blocks being the temptation, the sin, and then the judgment, right? And and what is and, and then the questions that come from that perhaps could be what is the sort of original uh, experience of human sin have to speak to our own experiences of human sin? You know is 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 there value in looking at this as a sort of prototypical or archetypical um, uh, paradigm of sin? Right. Um, I think of I think of uh, passages like in James one or two, the early chapters of James, where um, James says that you know God doesn't tempt us, but but every man is tempted when he is. Um, should have written this first down but when when from his own desires you know he's tempted and then that gives gives birth to sin which gives birth to death kind of thing like like there seems to be some parallel with sort of just in the beginning of the chapter you know the serpent's speaking with eve and and they're kind of going back and forth and he's presenting this temptation to her which she then gives in based on um, her own, you know, seeing that it was good for food and that it was good to make you wise and stuff. And then that results in the actual commission of the sin, you know, that gives birth to sin in James's language. And then that leads to the judgment, which God has already told them is death. In the, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And he, and he sends them out of the garden so that they will not eat, uh, uh, eat of the tree of life in that state of, of disobedience. Um, and I think there's there's a lot to be said for that kind of like application of Genesis three. Obviously, that there there are tons of other questions too. What's up with the fruit? You know, why is this the one? Uh, you know, thou shalt not command that God gave Adam in the beginning. You know, like um, and of course other fun things like why is there a talking snake? What do we do with that? Uh, you know in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But Adam goes on to live for like 900 years. You, you know, like there are all sorts of questions that I think are sort of like general questions or, or maybe common questions that come up. And I tried to think of some of the big ones, but I didn't have a very focused direction um, because I didn't want to limit our conversation. I wanted to sort of um, come into it with like, you know, thinking through the story without necessarily honing in on just one uh, one facet of it. So I don't know if you did hone in on one facet that we can focus on, um, or if anything I've said kind of dovetails with stuff you thought of, or else just you want to like go down or questions that you raised or want to raise. Yeah, 
I mean, I did not approach this from the perspective of like some sort of analytic, um, you know, maybe almost like systematic theology where we talk about the fall and all the intricacies that go into that. Uh, tr- truthfully, I sort of approach this as um, somewhat a, of a more poetic, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but what what I, what I was trying to do, and maybe this isn't always the best thing to do, but I feel like in a passage like this that, you know, maybe there is a place for it, but almost to like read between the lines, because we all know what the lines say. We, I mean, if you've ever done a Bible in the year sort of reading list, you've almost certainly started at Genesis. And because you usually start strong for the first week, you've definitely read this passage probably 15 times. Now, I can guarantee you haven't read Leviticus 15 times. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, you know, jokes... And if you had, it would be your favorite book in the Bible. It, it could be. Uh, but I guess, you know, jokes aside, uh, you've likely heard this passage preached, you've, you've heard it somewhere. So you know the things that it says. You know that the serpent came, that she, that it deceived Eve, that Eve ate, that Eve gave to Adam, that Adam eats. Uh, and then there's condemnation after they, you know, hide for a while. God asks, where are you? They come out. Who told you you're naked? All that. We know all that. There's no reason, at, at least in my mind today, to go through all of that in greater detail. Perhaps we'll do that in the future. Uh, but like I said, I almost wanted to read between the lines a little bit. And I actually remembered what inspired my thought on wanting to do this episode. Um, there's like, I don't know if you call it an EP or if it's just like a song, um, but it's called The Beginning, The Separation by Levi the Poet. Um, it had come up. I hadn't heard it in like years, came out in 2013. And obviously you can probably tell from the title, The Beginning, The Separation, that it's about the fall. And I think just some of the some of the things he has to say in this spoken word piece he he's doing some of that reading between the lines like thinking about what was it like for adam to come to eve after eve has eaten of this thing she's brought sin into the world in a sense and his beloved wife bone of my bone flesh of my flesh uh, flesh of my flesh he he looks at his spouse and I, I wonder did did he see a difference or perhaps he was somewhere else did he feel a physical difference and and that's part of what I mean by like reading between the lines a little bit obviously some of it's only speculation we we can't know um, but I think that there might be some value in at least contemplating these things and then relating those to our own experiences of of being in a fallen world living under sin uh, living in strife with our spouses, with our friends, with our parents, uh, and, and sort of getting the first glimpses maybe of, of that first separation, that first um, rending of, of the fabric of life as they knew it up until that point. And so, you know, like I said, just like picturing Adam coming up to Eve and, and Eve giving him the fruit, you know, to eat, eat this, it's, it's, it's good food. Um, I don't know. That's 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 one thought that I had. Uh, another thought that I had pertained to um, some of the some of the, the the blame shifting that takes place, and that's something that you know maybe people have talked about quite a bit. But I think is is always interesting and worth exploring the fact that when God comes into the garden and is talking with them, you know, who told you you were naked? Um, did you eat of this fruit? And Adam is like the woman that you gave me to be with me. She told me to eat. And man, if that isn't just a, a, a damning statement, Adam, <laughs> with all the gall in the world, has has the audacity to say to Yahweh, 
the woman that you gave to me, she's the one that caused me to do this. So not only is it a shift of blame to Eve saying, well, it wasn't my fault. I'm, I'm clean here. It was Eve. It's like a God, this, you are at fault here. And man, can, can you imagine? And, and I wonder how many people today live with a similar mindset, with a similar um, just worldview that some of the world's problems are a result of the things that God gives us. You know, God, it's your fault that COVID is in the world. You could, you, you could eradicate this. You put me in this city with this, you know, work and these people, and I had to go out and do things with them. And now here I am with COVID. Maybe we don't say those things out loud. Maybe we never utter them, but perhaps they're sort of like subliminal thoughts in our mind that uh, just kind of show themselves in how we operate out into the world. Um, but yeah, I guess those, I'm curious what some of your thoughts are after I've said a little bit of that. Like those were, those were just some of the thoughts that I had. This was, like I said, this was more of a, uh, a thinking experiment, so to speak, as opposed to some sort of systematic, like, here's just what the text says and what we can extrapolate from that. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. I think the blame shifting is, is also for me, one of the aspects that, uh, of the story that, that has always stuck out to me as really significant, especially when thinking through like what it means to be, you know, living downstream of this, whatever we want to say about that, whether, whether we are speaking more generally in terms of the world or more specifically in terms of like, as humans, you know, standing in the line of Adam and Eve and, and so to speak. Um, and, I think one of the things that's really helpful about helpful, I don't know. One of the one of the things is like like it's a very relatable response, I think. And obviously, some people are are more you know quick to shift blame than other people. You know, different personalities, different situations. But like like I do think that it's very relatable, pretty much across the board, to to especially like if you think in terms of you know like a like. When you're a kid and you're you're you, you kind of get caught red-handed by your mom or something like that, I think like like it's when we're reading the story, like it's so obvious that that what Adam says and and even what Eve says is like kind of ridiculous as a response, um, even though it's technically true, you know, like I guess you're like yeah, Eve did offer Adam the fruit, and yeah, the the serpent did. Uh, tempt and deceive Eve but like that's not the point <laughs> that that that's that certainly doesn't absolve Adam or Eve and it certainly doesn't undo what happened but I I, I do think that's that it's a relatable response and it, and it also gets at something that I think is reinforced even more so with the curses that follow um, in this is something that has really stuck out to me ever since uh you and I both took this class um, with Dr. Schmutzer uh, at Moody, uh, and he talks about um, this relational ecosystem that gets baked into the world by God, where where mankind is relating to each other, relating to God, relating to the the natural world as we would call it, and relating to to themselves in this interwoven web of relationships that this one act of sin shatters. This whole 
carefully crafted ecosystem. I mean, I, you know, we've all taken, you know, like science classes in school and we've seen like food webs and, you know, like if you take one of the pieces of the food web out, then like the whole thing would collapse, you know, like if, you know, if there's no, if there's no grass, then the things that eat the grass die. So then the predators die. So then there's nothing to grow the grass back, you know, like, like that, that kind of thing where the whole, the whole system topples. The whole system, it's not just one piece of it that's affected, but we see the ground is affected, the thorns and thistles, the, 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 even the serpent is affected. You know, he's eating dust and crawling on his belly. Um, the way that Adam and Eve are able to relate to each other, the way they're able to relate to themselves in terms of their work and in terms of their vocation uh, as, as humans in relationship and then also as humans doing work in the world. And... Um, of course, the way that they relate to, to God is 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 completely, completely uh, shattered. Well, here, um, I want to interject yeah. one thing real quick because it yeah, relates yeah, yeah. to what you just said. I, I the, One of the other thoughts that I had in in the narrative, you know, the serpent, Satan tells Eve, you, you, you certainly won't die. You know, surely you're not going to die. And God, God knows this. And it makes me wonder. Obviously, you already mentioned it, that Adam and Eve don't actually die. I mean, God says, in the day that you will eat of it, you will die. And, you know, maybe we can talk about what that means. Did that mean that they were going to die right there that instant? Did it mean that, you know, spiritual death, that sin was going to enter the world? Uh, what did that mean? If it meant that they were going to physically die, was God lying or was he being gracious? Like, that's some of the stuff that I think is is part of the conversation. However, Satan's Satan's calling into question the word of God. You know, did God really say this? And then when Eve says, yeah, God said this, the serpent sort of throws it back and says, well, God knows that you're not going to die. And he, they did not die by the grace of God. We know that. They, they continued to live. However, living in the effects of now th this fall, living in sin, I wonder how much of the serpent's words still rang through her head for the rest of her life. When you think about that, that reality that now that, that now that they lived in a fallen world away from Eden, uh, what was it like to relate to Adam, to relate to her, her children and other people, um, knowing now, like, man, I know what God said. I didn't die. He was merciful. But like, is that going to continue to be the case? Like, again, I'm just trying to think of what it would have been like to have been Adam and Eve to live in union and fellowship with each other and with God, and then to suddenly not have that, the fraction, the separation that, that, that occurred, um, what it would have been like living in those, in the fallout of that. Yeah. And I think, I think words like fraction and separation and shattering, like I used a second ago, at least for me, they really helped me to sort of capture what I think is going on or capture at least a, a, an image of what I think is going on um, on a relational level, which is which is not to say it's a less real level. I mean, if we look at things like, you know, thorns and thistles and, and bringing forth your bread by the sweat of your brow and pain in childbirth, like those are obviously very real things. Um, and the relationships that you have with another person are obviously very real things, even if they're not physically tangible. But But I do think that, Certainly. I mean, I don't think that this is a stretch because we all experience it, um, let alone 
having you know conscious memories of a pre you know of a pre-fall life uh, however, however long that that had lasted which adam and eve would have had um there is there is i think very easily for i, I at least people for myself for people i know and love and talk to like i, I don't think it's unfair to say that for everyone I've ever interacted with, it would be very easy to to identify the the fraction that sort of characterizes human existence uh, here on Earth, on this Earth, in this world, uh, and and that that goes like what I was referencing from Dr. Schmutzer. It goes in in every direction in this web. It's not just in terms of Oh, because of sin, you know, people are bad, they do bad things, and that causes, you know, fraction between people sometimes. It's like, yeah, that's true, but there's also just this this inherent, I'm not going to say brokenness, but like flawed aspect to even our best relationships, right? And that doesn't only happen when you make a mistake and misstep and hurt and betray the person that you love or vice versa. It also happens even when things are good, right? Even even when you are loving each other by the grace of God as those united to Christ, you know, there's still an imperfection that I, that we all experience and a dissatisfaction and a discontentment that I think maybe this isn't the only way to sort of think of it or characterize it, but I think at the very least on like sort of an existential level, it, it is it seems like a straight line to draw from this this shattering fraction separation that we see in Genesis 3 to our own experience of strife and pain and futility uh, in all different facets of our life and on all different scales you know big and small like like there are there are little tiny frustrations that aren't a big deal and then there are also really, really big frustrations that are that are painful and difficult and uh, like a true tribulation um, to to deal with. And I think that that I th- I think that that really gets at something that's 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 real, that's uh, significant and um, you know substantive when we're looking at what happened in Adam and Eve's life and and, and as it plays out through the rest of um, those early chapters of Genesis in terms of their immediate descendants, right? Um, but of course, this doesn't this doesn't end with Genesis four. This doesn't end with Genesis twelve. You know, like we we see this. You know, not to not to be too reductionistic, but I think we see this on every page of the Bible following Genesis three, because um, we we haven't we we haven't been fully repaired yet, right? And, and that's why. I think part of why it's it's uh, so significant that there is a new Adam, right? Like 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 there's there's a reason I think that Christ is a new Adam. Like it's not just a convenient metaphor, you know. Like like there's something real and something important that's going on there. I think that that at the very least, partially, I think we need to look at the way we experience this is why i say it's a very sort of existential feeling 
uh, aspect to talk about, the way that we experience and interact with the world all around us, the past, the future, our present, relationships, the physical world, God, ourselves, our inner, our inner thoughts and feelings. I think that it all, I think it all connects to this fall narrative. Uh, like I said, in a very clear way, it feels like a very straight line to draw. And um, I think that we can all relate to that, even if we have different ways of, of expressing it based on different experiences or or, or worldviews or, or ways of thinking or, or whatever. I think that we can all sort of put ourselves <coughs> in some way, put ourselves in Adam and Eve's shoes to, to imagine the loss right paradise lost right to imagine like what even if we can't really imagine what that would be like to sort of try to imagine what that would be like <coughs> yeah for sure <laughs> you are gonna be all right there <laughs> i'm never never better never better oh man well i think that we're at a point where we can sort of uh begin to descend out of this episode here one of the one of the only other thoughts that I had as it pertained to this conversation and this is more of uh, I guess one of the implications of the fall um, however I think it was also present pre-fall but one of the greatest mercies and this is I, I cannot for the life of me remember where I, who said this I just remember I saw it on Twitter before I left back in October um, but someone had said something along the lines of like the greatest mercy, or maybe one of the greatest mercies that God has given humanity is the fact that we don't know everything, that we're not omniscient. That was a very bad paraphrase of, of what this person said very well, but I've thought about it a lot since that day um, because, man, can you just imagine living life with the ability to, to know what other people are thinking about you, to know um, the true intentions of why people do what they do, um, I think it would drive, it's enough to drive a person mad. And so it's, it's a great mercy of God. Uh, because when you think about for a moment, the, the, the fruit that she ate of was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Um, so that what is, first of all, we could have a whole episode talking about well, what, what does that mean? What is this tree? What does it mean that she ate of the fruit? Um, what is the knowledge of good and evil? Um, but in, in some sense, she aspired to attain knowledge, something greater than what she had had at that moment. Um, yet in an ironic sort of way, the the fact that pre-fall, she didn't have all the knowledge in the world, and post-fall, she still does not have all that knowledge, and that that's a blessing, that that's something to be thankful for. Because like I said, I think if we had the ability to know all things, to, to, to know the intentions of the heart of man, Again, it would be enough to drive people absolutely wild to, to self-just destruction almost. Um, so yeah, that was sort of my last thought. Didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to say before we close. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, one of the things that came to mind, which I'm not sure if it works, because you pointed out she doesn't have all that knowledge, even pre-fall, is I, I wanted to say that having that knowledge particularly as it relates to like like you mentioned other people's um, thoughts about you or, or, or whatever. Um, I wanted to say, and there might be something here, I don't know, uh, that that maybe another way to say that is to talk about being naked and unashamed. Um, which is 
you know, not something that we really experience fully at the very least. Right. Uh, at all in, in our human existence uh, as, it, as it stands. Uh, and certainly not, that's not the, <laughs> the general posture of how we interact with each other. We've got all kinds of masks and facades and different things that we do to, um, you know, not be caught naked. Um, and that's a good thing. I'm not saying that we, you know, but, but it's a good thing because of the state of the state of things, right? It, it, it's, it's a good thing be, because it, it's us dealing with living as sinners with sinners in a sinful world, right? It's, right. It like, because of sin, we shouldn't be fully exposed at all times. Hmm. Um, however, there was a time, you know, uh, and, and there will be a time where that exposure, that, that vulnerability to the other is not going to carry with it the risk and the danger that it does now. Um, and, and I don't know that that translates to being able to, like, immediately know all things that another person is thinking so, so much as, as some kind of recapturing of, of what we see at the end of Genesis 2, um, where the, the naked and unashamed thing comes from, and that we see is, is sort of the first thing to go away. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and there's, 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 I get, we you could probably overemphasize this, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, they, they, they know they're naked and they feel ashamed and they, they sew together fig leaves or whatever, and, but it's still just them. You know, they've both committed the same sin together. You know, they, they, they're, they're both the same two people that God put in the garden and, and introduced to each other. You, you know, like it's, it's, it's not even like, you know, they, they started, you know, being, they were ashamed of being exposed to the serpent or whatever, but it's like even, and they hide together once they, once they see what they, you know, so like there, there is sort of this, this unity and this solidarity that still remains, but even, even that closeness that they have as, you know, Adam and Eve, the sinners is, seems to be qualitatively different in some way in terms of the relational aspect than Adam and Eve, uh, not sinners. And I think that there's something to, there. it seems to be expressed in, in the idea of the naked and unashamed thing, right? Where it, they're not just naked, but they're unashamed. And they're not just unashamed, but they're naked. And then they feel the shame. They, they have this awareness that brings them shame that they then seek to rectify, right? And, um, and I think that that might have something to do with kind of where you're getting at, where it's like, there is this knowledge that, we could say was was withheld from them. You know, we could say was not granted to them, uh, at least not fully or in a certain way. That is sort of the basis of the the temptation, and and is the basis of the of the um, you know, the impacts of the fall too. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what more to say on that. Just beyond to 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 sort of agree with you and point it out that there there's there is something. I think pretty deep to, to sort of meditate on with that. For sure. 
Well, I figure we it would be appropriate to close with a passage from Genesis. We I don't we didn't talk ahead of time to prepare a prayer, so I'll just read Genesis two twenty one through twenty five. It says that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Amen. Well, thank you for this conversation, and thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter at Doxology Podcast, and you can always reach us by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, uh, questions that you've got, whether they're raised from today's episode or just other thoughts you have. And as always, we're, we're very receptive and excited about ideas for future episode topics to discuss or even like series that you'd maybe want us to tackle. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, we'll see you. Peace.